Well, good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you this morning. You know, I've just been thinking about that work. I had the pleasure this week of spending uh, time with a number of captains of the indus- of industry in New Zealand, and you may see them as very privileged people. And in one sense, they are, but there's another sense in which they feel tremendous stress and they feel tremendous burdens on their shoulders. Actually, I was looking up some of, some of the metrics around the pharmaceutical companies, and do you know that we spend billions a year on our efforts to relieve stress? Now, to test your familiarity with stress, see if you can complete these sentences, okay? I'm all stressed, okay? I'm at the end of my, yeah, I'm coming un, undone, yeah. Americans would say I'm coming unglued. I'm ready to throw in the, oh man, you guys are pros at stress. <laughs> okay. You know, common phrases you'll hear, I'm uptight. You heard that one, yeah? I'm worn out. I'm under the gun. I'm burned out. Now, during these seven weeks in the series called Transformed, we're looking at some of the most famous texts in the Bible. And last week, we took the, the, the parable of the prodigal son and we're looking at restoring your spiritual health. Today, this week, we're going to look at a, the most beloved psalm, which by any chance is Psalm... Yeah, 10 points. No more DVDs today, Gerard. <laughs> How many of you will be like to be less stressed and therefore more healthy? Can I see your hands? Less stressed. Yeah, yeah, right. The Bible says, a couple of verses on your outline for start. Look, this is from God. This is His words. He says this. Peace of mind makes the body healthy. Look at that. You know what? Peace of mind makes the body healthy. The amplified version of that um, says, A calm and undisturbed mind and heart a life and health to the body. I love that. Now, just yesterday, again, I was just, just seeing how fast we're catching up with this. Well, the Mayo Clinic, most of you have heard of the Mayo Clinic, extremely reputable source of information, says clearly that stress puts your health at risk. Well, guess what? They're agreeing with what the Bible said thousands of years ago. And actually, they enumerated, I won't go into all the article, but it enumerated numbers of things which will show up in your life due to stress, anxiety, depression, digestive problems, heart disease. This is Mayo Clinic saying that. You're stressed, watch out for your heart. It's not good for your heart. Sleeping problems, insomnia, weight gain, memory and concentration problems. Anybody got some of those? Stress is directly related here. Now, to, so therefore, knowing that Mayo Clinic confirmed that, today I want to look at what the Bible says are the most common forms of stress and most importantly, what the Bible says to do that, to do about that stress. So if you're a little worn down, you're a little stressed out, frazzled, you picked a great weekend to come to church because we're going to help you out as we look at the most famous psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23. Okay. But before we look at that text, let me just identify some of the causes of stress. Now, worry is a big one. That's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That's what the Bible says about that. There's a lot more things to worry about than there used to be. We live in an increasingly complex world. Another thing that causes stress is hurry. Because often when we uh, yeah, hurry, 
the increasing pace of our life. So speed can contribute to our stress, the velocity of our lives. Isn't that right, Rob? Crowds, rush hour traffic. Anybody feel a bit stressed? I get more stressed in Auckland traffic than I did in California traffic. At least I'm moving somewhere at you know, 100k an hour there. Anyway, rush hour traffic, urbanisation, having your neighbour, having a party next door to you, you know, five nights a week. That can cause stress. Loss can cause stress. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. When you lose something. That can be something very, very, very precious. Opposition. Some jerk at work is on your case, making your life feel terrible. Anybody can give a testimony of that one right now. Oh, I can see that. And then the fear of the future, that can cause stress. Anyway, today we're going to look at these things and after I read Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is just six verses long. And it's, but in those we find seven antidotes to six causes uh, in, these, in, in these verses. So Psalm 23, follow along with me if you've got your Bible, if you haven't, it's on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, so I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in lush green meadows and he leads me beside calm, quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The most beloved psalm has given comfort to thousands of people in stressful situations for millennia. And it contains several spiritual truths for reducing stress and thereby improving your health. So let's get started. The first thing we can see in that psalm, clearly, is you and I, to reduce our stress, need to look to God to meet all my needs. David looks to God to meet his needs. And when I look to God rather than other people or other things, it calms my heart and I'm not going to be disappointed. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Now, stress often comes when you are constantly looking to other people to meet your needs instead of God. You know why that's stressful? Because people have limitations. Have you noticed that? They may not do what you expect. And worry is my warning sign that I've stopped looking to the Lord to meet my needs and instead I'm looking to everybody else to meet my needs. See, God can meet all my needs because he has all the resources. Jesus says, I can meet all of your needs according to my riches in glory. And that's a lot. Sometimes people put their security in their job. I know you know intellectually that's plain stupid. 
because if they lose their job, many of them fall apart. They literally dissolve because they put all of their hopes in their employer or their employment. Then where do they go? They're undone. They ask questions like, who am I? What on earth have I done for all this period of my life? And what's my identity? Because it's all being wrapped up in a J-O-B. And that's D-U-M-B. If I believe that God will take care of me, I won't stress and I won't worry. Notice the Bible says this in Romans 8, 32. Since God did not even spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us, won't he also surely give us, what's the next words? Everything else we need. The implied logic is, of course he will. Your stress will drop dramatically if you realise how much you matter to God. If you just get that one sentence today, it will change your stress level. How much you matter to God. Stress reduction improves your health. And it all starts with looking to God. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, The Sovereign Lord says, Only, now that's a very exclusive term, Only in returning to me, And waiting for me will you be saved in quietness and confidence is your strength. I want to put that in a sentence and something practical that you can do. Worship is the antidote to worry. The more I worship, the less I worry. Conversely, the more I worry, the less I worship. So for you today, for me today, worship is an antidote to worry. And you may want to write a little affirmation there to yourself. What can you do? What can you affirm? What can you agree with? You could maybe agree with this. I will trust God to meet my needs. Trust God to meet my needs. Number two, in this psalm, also says, I am clearly instructs you and me to obey God's instructions about rest. A lot of stress comes from overwork and that is driven often by insecurity. Some people work like dogs because they are very insecure. Think about this. God could have made our bodies not to need any sleep, right? He could have done that. He could have chosen that. But instead, he chose to make you so that about a third of your life you spend snoozing. Why did God create you with a need for sleep? You ever thought about that? Part of your design is kind of like the manufacturer's handbook, you know. Please make sure before you start this brand new mow, you put oil in it. There's instructions. It needs oil. There's a reason. The designer, the developer, designed it to have oil so it works properly. You need sleep so you will work properly, emotionally and physically and intellectually. Rest is so important for us that God modelled rest for us in the creation. God rested, it says, on the same day. Not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. But he modelled it for us as an example. 
And the Bible is filled with the directions about the value of rest for our bodies. In fact, it's so important, he put it in the big 10, right along with there with don't murder and don't commit adultery. He said, take a day off every week. That's important. Somehow I think in our modern day society, we've depreciated that. So, oh, God didn't really mean it. That's not that important. Is your wisdom better than God's? He put it in the top 10. Jesus later said, he said, listen, this is not a religious deal at all. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I created this idea for you to take one day off every seven for rest, for recreation, and for worship and restoration. And God says there in Psalm 23, verse 2a, the first part, in other words, of verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down. You may want to write out somewhere at the side there, my best requires rest. Now, for you workaholics amongst us today, I want you to notice this. You are not wasting your time when you are relaxing and resting. Some of you are almost got ants in your pants, as my mother used to say. You can't sit still. You're always thinking of things that need tweaking, fiddling, fixing, or otherwise. You need to rest. As one of my friends once said, it is better to have loafed and lost than never loafed at all. Exodus 34, 21. Six days are set aside for work. Did you notice that? How many days? Six. The Bible has got a great balance here. You work six days. You get about your business. But every seventh day, you must rest completely. Now, notice this next part. Even during your seasons of plowing and harvest. Anybody worked on a half farm? I have. Even when you're busy, you must observe the Sabbath day of rest. Is there anything unclear about that? <laughs> you see, to me, the things that bother me in the Bible are not the things I don't understand, it's the things I do understand. <laughs> Even in your busiest season there, it's saying it's no excuse. For example, in the French Revolution in 1793, they were pushing back Christianity. And you know the first thing they got rid of? The Sabbath. They said, no more Sundays is a day of rest. Get working. And they actually made a 10-day week. And later on, they restored it, the Sabbath, every seven days, just like God had already said, because the health of the nation collapsed. They burned out. Now, some of you say, yeah, but I feel guilty when I relax. Well, Jesus didn't. He took time off to withdraw and relax. A man once said to his pastor, I tried to get hold of you on Monday, all day. I rang you at nine o'clock, midday, and three o'clock, and five o'clock. And the pastor said, well, the Sabbath's my day off. And the man retorted, well, the devil doesn't take Sunday off, uh, take a day off. And the man said, yeah, well, if I didn't, I'd be just like the devil. Grouchy and mean, like you. The book of Colossians actually says this. The Bible says it doesn't matter which day you take off. Doesn't have to be a Sunday or a Saturday or a Friday. It doesn't matter because some of you work shift work. The point is one every seven. 
You just need to choose a day. Now, so what do I do on myself? A couple of suggestions. Number one, rest your body. That's a biblical justification for Sunday afternoon schnooze. Second, you may want to refocus your spirit because I don't know whether you've realized, but throughout the week, you can easily get blown off course. I can't wait to think of it sometimes this way. You can sometimes have for food, fast food, and that's what you get sometimes during the week. Fast food. Quick five minutes in the scriptures, off to work and gone. Quick prayer, off to work and gone. But there's times when you need to sit down and have a proper smorgasbord. Sundays is a great day to do that. And third, recharge my emotions. Now, some of you men forget that. That is a very important, especially those of you who are very task-oriented. And you can do that in different ways. Some of you, it may be sports, it may be a hobby, it may be taking a walk. But you may want to today just affirm something out the side and saying, I'm going to trust God by resting. I found when I do that, I get more done in the six days than I ever did in seven. So, I look to God to meet my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. And shepherds provide for their sheep. I obey, number two, God's instructions about rest. He makes me lie down. Number three, I recharge my soul with beauty. Ever wondered why God made nature so beautiful? I mean, Kimberly and I were out and about yesterday and we were just stunned by the beauty of this country. Flowers, sunsets. You know, I didn't have to do that. God could have just made this earth as bland as the moon. Moonscape. Why did he do that? For his glory and for your enjoyment. That's why he made it so beautiful. You need to listen to beautiful things and look at beautiful scenes. The Bible says here, Psalm 22, verse 2 to 3a, he makes me lie down in lush green meadows and leads me beside calm, quiet waters. He restores my soul. For me, we, I have a particular penchant for freesias. I just love their scent. I'll go down, grab one of those, stick it in my office. My whole office seems brighter. <laughs> it does something to my soul. It revives me. And that's a scene we can all visualise. Green meadows, calm, quiet waters trickling down the brook. Have you ever noticed how it's much easier sometimes to feel closer to God when you're in nature? Ever noticed that? There's a reason for that. Paul encourages us here too in Philippians 4, right? You'll do best. Interested in doing your best? By filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. Does that seem like TV to you? The best is saying, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Focus on those things that are reputable like that. Because of sin, there are a lot of unpleasant things in this world that you and I see. But what you give your attention to will raise or lower your stress. Think about it. Think about the local news. What there was noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious and beautiful? Well, how about most music videos? Here's a couple of suggestions. Start your day with God and worship, not the media, texts, or emails. Don't bounce out of bed and check your emails straight away. Or your texts, that's clutter, that's distraction. Start it with beauty. 
Get outside. Many of you sit in an office all day and you'll find that technology and the closed walls of an office can actually start to stifle your soul. God made the outdoors for our enjoyment. Well, take up an instrument or something for stress relief or, you know, to express beauty. Intentionally put beauty around you. That's why often screensavers and even where there, it's nice to have some beauty. So you may want to make a little affirmation there. I need to enjoy the beauty that God has created. That'll help. So I recharge my soul with beauty. He makes me lie down in green meadows and beside calm waters. Number four, to help build that, that health, you need to go to God for guidance. The fourth common stress, cause of stress is this, indecision. Do I do this or do I do that? If I do that, blah, 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 and all the implications. You kind of get to a fork in the road and you can't decide. So you get analysis paralysis. And you just stop dead. And it's stressful, especially if you've got a train coming up behind you. Which way am I going to go? Now, Jesus says this to you. What do I do? When I, God says, I need wisdom. That's what you need to do. And James says this. If any of you lack wisdom, and when you're at that corner, that crossroad, that fork in the road, you and I both lack wisdom. So what should you do? The Bible says here, you should ask God. Why? Because he knows what's ahead. Smart. He's been, he can see. He's in the future. He's in the past and he's in the present. That's a whole other message. But ask God who gives to all generously. So when you ask to God, uh, God for wisdom, the Bible says he, he gives generously without criticizing. He doesn't say, you dumb cough, you should have known that. He's generous and he gives it without criticizing. And the Bible says it will be given to him. So he gives generously and he gives graciously. And God is waiting to give some of you here today wisdom that are stuck on a crossroad. You just have to ask. So my, as your pastor, I strongly recommend you make God your first port of call in decision making. Not others, not analysts, not even well-meaning friends. You need to pray Ask God for wisdom, read his word, wait, and sense his direction. So the fourth affirmation, when you're stressed out, you may want to just write by your side there, is I will trust God to guide me. I will trust God to guide me. Number five. Trust God in the dark valleys. We all go through dark valleys in our lives. And one of the most devastating sources of stress is loss. You can go to work one day, which one of my friends did not long ago, and everybody was outside the work. And thought, oh, well, it's a fire drill. No, it was, it's all over. We're bankrupt. No more job. He spent a year and a half trying to get a job. You can lose your income overnight. You can lose your money in a deal which you thought was good and it's gone. A friend of mine the other day, well, actually about a year and a half ago, lost 500,000 US dollars. Boom. And this guy's the same guy. That causes stress. You can lose your reputation. You can lose a loved one. Far more painful. You, you can lose your health. 
that sense of loss. And when you go through loss, there are always two common reactions to loss. One is grief. And two is fear. Grief, though, is good and necessary to process because it helps you get through the loss. It helps you actually recover. Grief's good. But fear is not good because it paralyzes you. And it paralyzes you as you think about the future. And the Bible says here in Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a very dark place, I will fear no evil. I don't fear anything. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can you remember as a kid, when you were a kid, sometimes shadows could freak you out a bit. You know what I mean? Big black shadows. Do you remember that? Or any of your kids recently? But we all know now as adults that shadows can't hurt us. Even if the shadow of a truck goes by, so what? It's not going to kill you. It's the, you know, shadows cannot hurt you. Shadows are also bigger than the source. They always are. Now the key to dealing with the shadows is to turn your back on the shadow and look into the light of God's grace. And then you don't see the shadow for a start. You look to the light of the world. And that's how you go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how you lower your stress. You don't look at the shadow. You look to the source of the light. So you look to God and trust Him in dark valleys. And maybe you're going through a dark valley right now. Or maybe some of you know that is. And you need to pray like David do. And I did. In Psalm 142 verse 3, it says, When I'm ready to give up. When I am ready to give up. And many of you in this room have been at that place where you are ready to give up. The rest of the verse says, He knows what I should do. Maybe you want to write this down in your outline as a, an affirmation to this point. I don't have to know the answers if I know God. I don't have to know the answers if I know God. Number six, you need to let God be your defender. The sixth common source of stress is conflict, opposition, criticism. When people criticize you or your performance or lack of performance, or people flat out just don't like you. Now, the natural response when somebody criticizes or attacks you is to criticize or get them back, right? Yeah? But when you do that, you're just putting yourself at the same level that they are. The thing that you don't like, you're doing back to them. Little people be little people. Remember that. Tell your children that. Tell your grandchildren that. Little people be little people. They try to make themselves feel better, but it just reveals actually the condition of their hearts. So how do you handle rude, uncivilized people? How do you handle mean people? You let God handle them. Let him be your defender because that is what David is saying here. David knows what it's like to be attacked and pursued, not just emotionally and verbally, but him here physically too. Psalm 23 verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, to get the picture on this, in that 
Near Eastern culture. At a feast, it was customary to anoint your, uh, your visitor or your person with a beautiful, fragrant oil. Probably because they've been walking a long time in long robes and they're a bit stinky too. So what you'd do is you'd give them some, some super strong aftershave type of style and it would smell beautiful again <laughs> before you sat down. So that was the custom of the day. You anoint the person with a fragrant oil. And by the way, the second point to notice about that verse is hosts were also expected to protect their guests at all costs. They were in your home, you're responsible, and your troops and your family and your, you're responsible to protect them at all costs. So God offers, here's the point in that verse, the protection of a host, even when the enemies are surrounding you. See, that guy that was sitting down there, you prepare a table. He's sitting down, about to have a nice big launch out with beautiful fragrance all around him and safe. His enemies are all around, but this guy doesn't look like he cares, he does he? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You said, those guys outside, let's not worry about them because I am in my Father's house. Psalm 18 verse 1. How I love you, Lord. You are my defender and my protector and my strong fortress. In you I am safe. You protect me like a shield. Does David sound stressed out here? No, you can sense the faith. You can sense the confidence. But let me tell you, when he's writing that, he's writing that from a cave. And his enemies are outside. He says, I'm not worried. God is in control. God is my defender and he will help me. Now it takes a lot of faith to rest in God instead of attacking when you are misunderstood, maligned, set up, and you think, I've got to do something about this. But it also takes humility. And you are most like Christ when you refuse to retaliate. You told your kids that. Don't retaliate, haven't you? You've all said it. Don't retaliate. And God is saying that to you today. Don't retaliate. Trust in me to protect you. I want to now draw your attention as we're coming to a close on this here. 1 Peter 4.19 says this. So if you are suffering according to whose will? Hang on. Let's look at it again. If you are suffering according to God's will. Some of you need to notice that suffering is sometimes God's will. Some people falsely and wrongly say suffering is never a part of God's will. Incorrect. They've just never read the Bible properly because it says it right there. And it says that some suffering is God's will. So if you're suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right. Don't get tempted to jab him. And trust yourself to God. That's a godly way. That is a mature way to behave. The immature one is to pop a one back. Trust yourself to God who made you, for he will never fail you. And actually, when you do that, you will grow spiritually and you'll grow in your reputation. So how does trust in God work. Well, trust overcomes fear. Genuine trust in God says, whatever mess I'm in, 
my heavenly Father will lead me. And probably like you in my life, I've been in some super big pickles. Number two, how does trust work? Trust overcomes depression and depressive thoughts. No matter how overwhelming the situation is now or how it makes you feel, how low it makes you feel, God can draw you back to the light where things seem peaceful again. And thirdly, trust overcomes hate. This is what trust in God looks like. It overcomes that. When careless or cruel people hurt you, sometimes irreparably, you can hate forever or you can trust God, but you can't do both. So God is there to steady you even in the worst situation Always with a promise, always with a hope. Commit your life to him for safekeeping and rely on him when you face your worst disappointment and attack. So a good affirmation for this maybe, you may want to write there, out the side of your notes there, God will take care of me. There's one more common source of stress and that is fearing the future. And this is the seventh thing that David addresses in this beautiful psalm is this. Expect God to finish what he started in me. Are you one of those, well, what if persons? Always expecting the worst. Finding a problem in every solution. Psalm 23 says this. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the final scene of this psalm here, we see that the believers dwell with the Lord. And God, the perfect shepherd, the host, promises to guide and protect us throughout our life and bring us to his house forever. How do you lower the stress? You say, I'm going to expect God to finish what he started in me. Even if lots of things went wrong in my life, I'm still going to heaven. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I don't know what burden you're carrying now or what's weighing on your heart, but I do know what Jesus says here. In Matthew 11, it says, Jesus is speaking. He says, come, 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 come. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take, this is the verb, take my yoke on you and learn, another verb, from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So those who come to Christ and walk with him. When I'm yoked with Christ, we move together in the same direction and the same speed. We get a bit of chafing if we're dragging behind or we're pushing ahead too fast. And those are two problems that increase stress. When you're going in the wrong direction and when you're going at the wrong speed. Would you pray with me? Lord, today, I know that there are many people who are tired and worn out by the pace of modern living. They're just stressed out by worry and fear and conflict in the home, interpersonally, in the office. They're stressed out by indecision. 
by the rudeness of people around them. They're stressed out by an overly crowded schedule and by overwork. And today, Lord, I pray that each of these steps that David took, we will take today. Why don't you pray in your mind and say, Dear God, I want to look to you to meet all of my needs. I know there's no person in the whole of this world that could possibly meet all of my emotional and mental and physical and spiritual needs. But Lord, you are my shepherd and I shall not want. Today, God, I'm going to start obeying your instruction about rest. Father, you make me lie down in green pastures. Help me to fill my soul and my surroundings with beauty. Be it that nature or music or art. Because you've given that for the expression of emotion. Rather than filling my mind with so much negative news, negative talk shows and arguments and conflict. That's in the media today. Thank you that you made me lie down in green meadows beside calm, quiet waters. Father, those things I come to in life where I have no clue what to do and I'm confused and I certainly lack wisdom. I'm going to be coming to you for wisdom, for guidance. I need your guidance. When you go through dark valleys, Lord, Help me not to be afraid of the shadows, but to turn to you, the light of the world, to look into your eyes, Jesus. When I'm ready to give up, you know what I should do at that moment. Father, when I feel like I'm under attack, when I feel like others are against me, I am going to look to you to be my defender. Would you help me speak no words of unkindness, but to return good for evil and to pray for those who persecute, to love those who hate and to do good to those who do evil. Father, would you be my defender, my protector, my fortress? I trust you. And God, I'm going to expect you to finish what you started in me. Rather than what ifing and naysaying, I'm going to say humbly but clearly, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. Jesus, he said to come to you. So right now I come to you. I want you to take my yoke from me. And I want to take your yoke on me. I want to team up with you. I want to learn of you. I want to move forward in the same direction and the pace that you set for me. Not this world. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray.